All right, I'm continuing to teach on the subject of uh, temptation, how to deal with temptation. And I've covered a lot of things. Matter of fact, last night I said things I never intended to say, but I felt like somebody needed it. So anyway, it was good. But we've been talking primarily out of Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. Both of these passages are uh, about the temptation of Jesus. And I've been using my study Bible. Uh, I'd encourage you, if you hadn't got one of these, this is the only thing I'm aware of that presents the Gospels in chronological order in this format. As a matter of fact, when I wrote this, this has been 15 years ago or something like that, and when I wrote this and put all of this together and we went through it in chronological order, I thought it would be just a simple matter to put the things you know, the Gospels in a chronological order and go through because there was these harmony of the Gospels. And so I got a couple of them, began to look at them, and they were totally different. And I thought, how could they be all totally different? And then I got to reading the authors, and they'd say, well, we know that, uh, you know, this wasn't inspired by God. It was just man writing this, and man contradict each other. And so we think that Mark was the oldest one in this and that. And after reading all the stuff, I just threw those away and said, man, I believe that there's a way to do this. And so I went through and harmonized it myself, uh, being led by the Holy Ghost. And man, there's some awesome things in here. So this is a good deal. You ought to get one of these. I've been really blessed by this. But uh, one of the things it does, it takes all of the scriptures on a subject and they're all right there on one page. And you get information by comparing these scriptures that you never get by just reading one account and then going through and reading the next gospel writer. Uh, The Lord inspired them to do this. So there's two instances, Matthew 4 and uh, Luke chapter 4, where the temptations of Jesus are listed. And we've already covered a lot of this information. First thing we talked about is that Jesus prepared himself for the temptation. And really, you have to prepare in advance if you are going to succeed in overcoming temptation. We spent quite a bit of time... Uh, talking about that. And then we talked about yesterday morning how that the real temptation of Jesus, I believe that the strongest temptation that Satan had was when he came and he says, if you be the son of God. He tried to get Jesus to doubt his true identity. He tried to get him to look in the flesh instead of going by what his father had said and tried to get him to do physical things and put his faith in those things instead of in what his father had said in the word of God. And we made some great comparisons that really all of our temptations come because we don't know who we are. If we were to change the way we think and think about ourselves differently, see ourselves in Christ Jesus as being a different, changed person, I guarantee you it would make a huge difference in your ability to overcome temptation. Then last night we talked about 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 that says, All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of God. And I made this statement that Jesus endured three temptations that you can directly relate to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Eve uh, endured three temptations. Really, when she saw the tree, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise and good for food. There were three temptations. Satan doesn't have unlimited amount of things that he can throw at us. He just throws these basic, simple things, wraps it in a different package, different bow, But it's the same temptation. And if you can understand this and start dealing with these three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and if you could overcome those, then these other things that we call uh, like drug addiction and uh, sexual addiction and 
uh, anger and bitterness and all of these other things, they wouldn't have any influence over you if you would just deal with those three areas. And then to boil it down, to make it even simpler, I talked about that basically it's just talking about selfishness, self-centeredness. And that selfishness is the biggest inroad that Satan has into our life. God did not make us to be the center of the universe. You are not supposed to be serving yourself. It's in losing your life that you find out what life is all about. And so we talked about that. What I want to do today, let's turn over to uh, Luke chapter 4 and read these temptations of Jesus out of Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4 verse 1, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Now there's a lot I could say about this. I'm just going to hit this quickly because this is not my main point today. But in a sense, what he did here was offer Jesus a compromise. A way to obtain the goal he was after without having to go through the cross, the suffering and becoming sin and all of those kind of things. In other words, Jesus came to win back the authority and the control over this earth and take it back unto God. That was one of the stated purposes of Jesus. And Satan was saying, well, I'll just give you a shortcut. Here's a compromise. You can have it if you'll just fall down and worship me. You won't have to go through the suffering of the cross. You won't have to go through these things. Well, in the first place, Satan is the liar and the father of all lies. I don't believe that for a moment he would have given Jesus what he was promising. But even if it would have come to pass, you know what? Jesus would have lost his own soul in the process and therefore he wouldn't have been able to pay the sins for us. It wouldn't have accomplished the thing. Here's the point is... That you know what? Satan will try and talk you out of serving God. But when he sees that you're committed to serving God, then he'll offer you a compromise. He'll offer you some other way that you can obtain it. Man, I could give you a million illustrations of this in my own personal life. Um, Anyway, I won't go into all of that. But there's just so many times that Satan has tried to get me to compromise my convictions to reach people. Like one time I had this uh, group of people come to me and they were going to raise me a million dollars and they had just raised $22 million for a television minister and they said that they could raise me a million dollars in 60 days. Well, man, I could use a million dollars. (laughs) So I flew them all in. People from California, Tulsa, uh, Houston, I forgot where all they were from. But anyway, this whole group of people, I flew them in. We talked to them. And they started telling me how they were going to raise all this million bucks. And so I said, all right, so what are you going to do? And they said, oh, you just leave it to us and we'll guarantee you a million dollars profit. I said, I want to know what you're going to do. They said, you just give us your mailing list. We'll raise it. I said, no, I want to know what you're going to do. And they started telling me they'll show pictures of babies with swollen bellies and they'll talk about orphanages and they'll do all of this stuff and they'll, they'll give me a million dollars. They had it down to the color of ink, how many times you underline things. 
they had it down to a science, and they were guaranteeing. They were giving me a, a deal that would guarantee me a million dollars. And this is back when our income was probably around ten or fifteen thousand dollars per month. Huge influx of cash. Man, I could have used a million bucks. But you know, I told them, I said, I don't have an orphanage. I don't support these kind of things. They said, you don't have to. Says all these other people we raise money for, they don't have it either. But says we'll advertise it and people will give. We know what makes people give. And I know that's disappointing to some of you, but you need to be woken up that, you know what, there's a lot of scams going on in the ministry, in the body of Christ. And man, you shouldn't be giving to anybody that hasn't ministered to you. Anyway, that's a whole nother teaching. But... I just said, I can't do that. That would be a lie. And they said, well, no, you, nobody has to know. And I said, I know. I said, I'm not going to violate my conscience. I said, you know what? It's not worth a million dollars to me to do what you're doing. And I just sent them off. I told them, keep the money that I've already given you. But I said, I'm not doing this stuff. You know what that is? That's a compromise. And it looks like, well, who cares how you get there? If you had a million dollars, look what you could do. You'd do this on television and radio and you could share the word. Nope, you can't compromise. There's a right and a wrong way to do things. And with every one of you, there's a right and a wrong way for you to accomplish the goals that God has given you. Compromise is a language of the devil. And this is what Satan was doing. Satan was saying, look, here's what you want. Here's all the kingdoms of the world, all the glory and the power. I'll give it to you if you'll just compromise. Don't do it the way God says. Fall down and worship me and I'll give it to you. Nope, doesn't work that way. So Jesus answered in verse 8. He said unto him, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Verse 9, and he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Now, one thing that's consistent in every one of these temptations is the way that Jesus responded to it. And this is super important. This is so simple, you've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand what I'm going to say. But, this is, but most people, because it's so simple, they just skip over this and think, oh, I want something deeper, more profound than this. Jesus used the Word of God to counter every temptation that Satan came at him with. If you are going to ever effectively win over temptation, you are going to have to know God's words frontwards and backwards. You are going to have to be established in the Word of God and be able to counter every thought, every motive, everything that comes into your life to check it up against the Word of God. And that's how you understand whether this is of God or of not. If any thought comes to you, if any desire, any temptation comes to you that violates God's word, then you reject it. Now that is simple, but it's amazing. If that's true, which it is, then the word of God is one of the greatest tools that God has ever given us. It's indispensable. Satan is the father of all lies. When he speaks, he speaks of himself and he's always going to violate scripture. Now notice that Satan even quoted scripture to Jesus. He quoted from Psalms chapter 91. 
Let me share with you the uh, actual quote from Psalms chapter 91. Here it is in Psalms 91 verse 11 and 12. It says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now you know what? It looks like Satan quoted scripture. And a person who has only a casual relationship with scripture would be fooled by this because it sounded close. But if you look at it closely, did you know that Satan omitted part of one verse and added to the next verse. He didn't quote this correctly. For instance, here in in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 4, in verse 6, it says, He says, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. In verse um, 6 here where it says, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee. That's a quotation from Psalms 91.11. Here's what Psalms 91.11 actually says. He shall give His angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. In other words, it limits the protection and the blessing of God. It's on you to keep you in all of your ways. All of those ways that have been directed and ordained by God. God's protection doesn't extend to you if you go out here and if you're in rebellion to God. It's like, you know, if it's raining outside and you're under this huge huge umbrella, that would be God's protection and it's protecting you from all of the things that happen. But you run out from under that umbrella, you're going to get wet. That protection doesn't extend out there. God has a protection over us and as long as we are walking in the ways that he's ordained for us, well then we can expect supernatural protection. But you get into rebellion at God and I guarantee you it's not God who punishes you, but you open yourself up to Satan and Satan comes for no other purpose except to steal, kill and destroy. If you give Satan an opportunity, he's going to eat your lunch and pop the bag. Amen. He's going to, he's going to destroy you. So this is incorrect. When the devil left off half of that verse where it says he shall give his angels charge over thee, period. That's not true. The angels don't have charge over you regardless of what you're doing. You need to cooperate with God. You need to be yielding to God and seeking God and following his leadership. Now, God still loves you if you're outside of his protection. It's not God getting you. I had not got time to put all this in balance. But a lot of religion today will teach that God's the one that punishes you. God's the one that causes problems in your life if you don't obey. That's not true. But God's protection doesn't extend to it when you're out here in rebellion against God and disobedient to God. So that was a misquotation of that scripture. And then in Psalms 91.12, here's what it actually says. It says, They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Here's what Satan said. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest at any time you dash your foot against the stone. In other words, once again, implying that regardless of what happens, regardless of what you're doing, God is going to protect you regardless. And that's not true. Amen. Psalms chapter 91, Moses wrote that. And he said, uh, how's Psalms 91 start? He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. And then it goes on and talks about all the protection that a thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but the plague shall not come nigh you. Only with your eyes shall you 
uh, see and behold the reward of the wicked, etc. But it starts with he that dwells under the shadow of the Almighty. He that says of the Lord. There has to be some faith on your part to appropriate and to stand in this blessing of God. So what Satan did was pervert these scriptures. He quoted scripture, but he perverted them and changed the meaning so that, well, go ahead and do something stupid just to tempt God and see if it'll work. Because after all, God said that he will help you and protect you under any and all circumstances. He misquoted scripture. Satan will even use scripture on you. Satan quoted or translated some of the Bibles that we've got. He'll quote them to you. Satan will use scripture on you. And you've got to have enough knowledge of the scripture to really be able to rightly divide it. A casual knowledge of the scripture is just enough to get you into trouble. One of the things that Jesus did when temptation came against him, he answered every temptation with, it is written and showed why what he was being tempted to do was contrary to what God's will was because he knew the scripture. And you've got to remember that in Jesus' day, they didn't have a Bible like what we do that is convenient and printed like this. They were in big scrolls. They had Genesis was one scroll. Exodus was one scroll. All of these books were different scrolls. They weren't divided into chapter and verse. They were hard and cumbersome to go through. The very fact that he could turn over and quote these scriptures. And like when he went into the, his own uh, synagogue in Nazareth and opened up the book of Isaiah and opened it to the very spot where it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That shows that Jesus had a knowledge of the word that was amazing. It was astounding. He knew the word of God. And Jesus used scripture to counter Satan's attack. Now that is very important. And think about this. Jesus was the Word of God manifest. The Word was made manifest and dwelt among us. Jesus could have said, boo, and it would have been Scripture. He could have said, get out of here, and that would have been Scripture. He was the Word. He could have said anything, and it would have been Scripture. Why did he go back and quote Old Testament Scripture? If anything he said would have been Scripture, if he was God manifest in the flesh, he could have done anything. Why did he go back and quote scripture? Well, there could be multiple answers for it, but one of the things that the Lord spoke to me was that the reason he used Old Testament scripture is because he couldn't improve on it. Almighty Son of God, there in all of his glory and power, couldn't think of anything better to say than what he had already said through people. That puts such a powerful authority, stamp of approval on scripture that Jesus, when he was tempted, and I can guarantee you this was Satan's greatest temptation he'd ever done. He knew that everything was on the line. This was the son of God and he was just going to have this one shot at him. Satan pulled out his, his most crafty, his most subtle, his most deceptive temptations. Satan, this was the biggest, um, I mean, uh, Marshalling of his forces, his ability. It was his greatest attempt ever. And, fa and Jesus facing this strongest battle with the devil that had ever gone on in the history of the universe couldn't find anything better to say than what was already written in Scripture. Man, now that blesses me. 
Because you know what that means? That means that, you know what, if it was good enough for Jesus facing Satan himself in this temptation, then this word right here is more than enough for me to be able to deal with the little imps that I come across and the flesh and these kind of things that I deal with. I guarantee you this scripture is powerful. Jesus couldn't improve upon it. Again, if that be true, and if it was that important, how in the world can we let this just lay on our nightstand and go days, weeks without studying it, without knowing these things? I believe that when Jesus comes back as revealed in the book of Revelation, the scripture says there's a sharp two-edged sword that goes out of his mouth that is going to turn every direction and it's going to slay people. It'll slay so many people it says that the blood will be up to the horse's bridles. That means three to four feet high for 120 miles long. He's going to come back and destroy those who've rejected him. 120 miles of blood, three to four feet deep, and then it says that there will be people who will, their continual employment will be to go and put uh, little flags by all of the bones. And it's going to take, what is it? It's, it's either seven months or seven years. Seven years, I believe it is, to gather up all of the bones and the flesh that is left. And you know what's going to do that? Is this sword coming out of his mouth. And this is an opinion on my part, but I don't believe that there's going to be a physical sword coming out. I believe that's a symbolism for the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I believe that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And He's literally, what He's going to do when He comes back, He is going to speak Scripture that is written in the book of Revelation. And He's going to pronounce this prophecy that was given through the Apostle John. And He's going to say these words out of His mouth. And when He does, man, it's going to be the greatest weapon that has ever been released on the face of the earth. It's going to make the... uh, atomic bomb, the neutron bomb, the hydrogen bomb seem like nothing in comparison to this weapon, the word of God that comes out of his mouth. And we've got this. We've got the exact same words that he's going to use to destroy millions of his enemies in the last battle. We've got those exact same words. And we've got words that will destroy any enemy, any opposition that Satan comes against us with. The only thing is, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 says, The word preached unto them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You have to mix faith with the word of God. The word of God isn't going to set you free just by holding it in your hand or putting it under your arm or setting it on your coffee table. It has to come off of those pages and it has to be a living word that's living on the inside of you. You've got to mix it with faith. You've got to get to where the word of God is alive on the inside of you. And there's a lot of people that don't do that. I remember I was over at a woman's house one time and I was talking to her and she gave me a cup of tea and I set this cup on top of the family Bible that was on the coffee table. And when I did that, you'd have thought I cussed. This woman just sucked all the air out of the room. I can't believe you set something on top of the Bible and I grabbed it real quick and moved it. You could see the dust ring where that cup was sitting. (laughs) She didn't read it. She didn't open it. She said, don't dare touch the Bible. You know what? This is not the Bible. This is a perfect representation of the Bible, but the Bible is alive and powerful and quick. It's spirit and it's life. You could tear the pages out of here and it doesn't affect the Bible. This is a representation. I believe it's a perfect representation. Down to the last dotting of an I and crossing of a T. 
I'm not saying that the scripture is is contaminated, but I'm saying that this is just the physical representation. The word is actually alive. Jesus said it is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is alive. And if all you're doing is reading a book and putting facts and information in your brain, you aren't reading the Bible. I don't know how to get this across. But the Bible is alive. This is a real, this is God speaking to us. This isn't me reading about what God said to somebody else. You know, the Bible is not really popular in our culture today. Now, it's still revered in the sense that it's a history book and that it's influenced society and that there's maxim and there's principles in there. And there's still people that revere it to a degree. They don't want you to set their coffee cup on top of it, but they don't want to read it. But you know what? Most people don't really value the Word of God properly the way that it is. And it's because they read it... uh, in just a physical, natural sense. The Bible isn't written to your brain. The Bible is written to your heart. Again, I don't know how to... I've said these things to people before and it's just like the lights are on but nobody's home. They don't understand what I'm trying to say through this. But when I read the Bible, it's me communicating with God. It's the Lord speaking to me. Just this last weekend, I spent, I don't even know, but dozens of hours just reading. And I mean, God was speaking awesome things to me. To me, reading the Bible equals prayer. I'm in communion with God. It's not a one-way communication. God speaks to me through the Word. It's alive. It's quick. That's what Hebrews 4.12 says, that the Word of God is quick. That means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and of spirit and of joint and of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's Word is alive. It's powerful. If you read the Bible and it doesn't do something to the inside of you, you hadn't connected with the true Word of God. You're just reading the words that represent it. And you haven't ever received it. You have to open up your heart and let God's word touch you in a heart level and speak to you. And it's powerful. And Satan can't abide the word of God. Satan will always pervert it. Just like when he tried to quote from Psalms chapter 91 with Jesus. He'll leave something out. He'll add something to it. He'll paraphrase. He'll pervert it. But if you really know the Word of God, you'll be able to catch that, hey, you misquoted that. (laughs) man. Like I remember one pastor that was afraid to fly. And he always drove or rode a bus everywhere he went. And his secretary one day was talking to him and says, Pastor, says this is wrong. You know what? You're operating in fear. Don't you remember the scripture that God said he'd be with you always? And he said, you misquoted that scripture. It says, lo, I am with you always. (laughs) Man, you need to really know the Word of God. Amen. (laughs) You need to get to where you know it. I mean, frontwards and backwards. And brothers and sisters, I'm not saying this to condemn anybody in here, but I can guarantee you if I was to sit down and talk to the average person in here, I could prove a woeful 
lack of understanding of Scripture. I have people come up to me. I come out here at least an hour early before every service. People ask me questions that if you knew the Word of God, you wouldn't ask a question like that. I'm not against anybody. I'm here to help you and minister to you. But I'm saying that very few people know the Word of God. If I was to get down and talk to you personally and ask, how much time do you spend studying the Word of God? Most of you in here would be embarrassed to tell me how much time you spend studying the Word of God. Most of you spend more time reading the newspaper than you do the Word of God. You spend more time watching the news, watching television, than you do the Word of God and wonder why you're having problems. Garbage in, garbage out. You are what you eat. If you're going to listen to the junk of this world, I guarantee you, you are going to be one messed up, perverted person. Because this world is perverted. This is a post-Christian culture we live in. The values are ungodly. Don't preach me down because I'm preaching real good. It's true. We don't know what the Word says. Look at just a couple of scriptures over here in Psalms chapter 119. Psalms 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. 160 something verses. And every single verse is talking about the importance of the Word. Every verse in this chapter, 160 something verses, are all about the importance of the Word. It's powerful. Look in Psalms 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word? Did you know if you were to just take heed to God's word, it would cleanse you? Many of you have got baggage that you've brought from a life before you met the Lord and you've got hang-ups and you've got emotional problems and you've got physical problems and financial problems and you've got all of these things. How do you cleanse your way? How do you ever change? It's through the Word of God. Man, the Lord spoke this to me when I was just a teenager and I was saying, God, how do I ever become what you want me to be? And God spoke this verse to me. And man, I lived on that and I started studying the Word of God. And I guarantee you, I have avoided hundreds of thousands of temptations and problems just because I spent time meditating in the Word and the Word changed my attitude. The Word will change you. I've got a tape set out here entitled Effortless Change, which sounds like an oxymoron. There is no such thing as effortless change. Change comes with great price, and man, it's hard, and it's hard to change. That's what most people would say. But the whole point of that teaching is that the only effort is to just discipline yourself that you're going to meditate in the Word day and night. But if you will do that, then the Word will change your thinking And as you think in your heart, that's the way you are, Proverbs 23, 7. If you would just make the commitment that I am going to know God's Word, I'm going to be in God's Word, you wouldn't have to try and change. You wouldn't have to try and quit being a mean person. If you just meditated in the Word, the Word would change you effortlessly. You would just automatically change. Whatever your attention is focused on is what you are going to become. And I know many of you don't agree with that. But it's an absolute truth. It's what the Bible says. And that's what this is saying. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. Look in verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart 
that I might not sin against thee. That's what we're talking about is how do you overcome temptation? How did Jesus overcome temptation? He quoted the word. It is written every single time encountered Satan and Satan had to stop once the word was injected into the thing. How do you overcome? How do you cleanse your way? You hide God's word in your heart and it keeps you from sinning. If you are sinning and if you're failing in this area, I can guarantee you that you do not have God's Word hid in your heart. You may have some scriptures you can quote from your head, but the Word of God isn't dominant in your life or it will keep you from sinning. It will keep you from living a certain way. God's Word, He'll bring it back to your remembrance. He'll stop you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll show you things. But the average person is going through life without the benefit of God's Word. Man, God gave His Word to us as a weapon, as a sword. If you read in Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about take unto you the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, then it'll mention the helmet of righteousness, I mean the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, all of these things, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. But every one of those pieces of armor is defensive except the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's Word is the only offensive weapon that He's given us. It's powerful. It would be like going out and fighting your enemy with no sword, just standing there, just taking blow after blow after blow and trying to survive it, but having nothing to retaliate with. It's very descriptive of the average Christian's life. Look in Psalms chapter 19. Here's some more passages about the Word, about the importance of it, what it does. In Psalms chapter 19, in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. And that's quite a statement. You know what? There's nothing else you can read or study or look at or think upon or occupy yourself with that's perfect. God's Word is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You know what the word converting here means? If you look it up in the Hebrew, it means to restore to an original condition. Mankind has been corrupted. And many of you don't have this perspective, but you know what? You came, you you lived a life prior to coming to the Lord, you established values that were, you know, typical based on what other kids your age did and things like this. And you had values, opinions, thoughts that are just so far removed from what God ever intended that most of us don't even know how far we've fallen. Most of us don't even know how vile our thoughts are compared to what God originally intended man to be. And most of us, it's just kind of you look around and pick an average and then you try and be a little bit better than the average. But most of us haven't seen God's standard and don't really conduct ourselves. This says that the law of the Lord is perfect. That means it's not corrupted. It's not relative. Maybe in our society it's gotten to where, you know, lying is just a common thing and it just depends on what kind of lawyer you got as to what you mean. The definition of is, is, and all of these kind of things. And we've just become so accustomed to it. But you know what? When you go to God's Word, you'll get a different opinion. And you'll get a different standard. And God will begin to do things. And what it'll do, it'll restore your soul back to an original condition. 
through the Word of God, you can get back to where you have a heart like God intended man to have. You don't have to have a heart that's hardened and separated from God, but you can have a heart that's sensitive to God and that loves God and enjoys the things of God more than the things of the world. The Word of God will convert your soul. Man, that is awesome. If that was the only scripture we had in the Bible, that right there is more than enough reason to take the Word of God and to make it first and foremost in your life. If you would just go to studying it with your heart, not just your head, and say, Oh God, use this Word to help me not to sin against you, to cleanse my ways. Use it to convert my soul and go to studying the Word. I guarantee you, your whole value systems would begin to change. And you wouldn't have to sit there and white knuckle it and resist and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to change. All you got to do is just get in the Word and study it and ask God to speak to you. And He'll just change your heart. This is one of the things that happens in our Bible college that I love. We see people come in who are just, I mean, they're just barely saved. And they do not have the right values or anything. And all you got to do, you don't have to sit there and start saying, now you do this and you do this and start putting down rules and regulations. All you got to do is just start ministering the Word of God. Just start sharing the Word in four hours a day, five days a week. And in a short period of time, these people are changed and they didn't even know it was coming. The Word of God just transforms people's lives. I can think of one guy named Taj who was from um, Chicago and he was a gang member. And he came wearing all of his baggy stuff and his FUBU stuff. And I mean, this guy, he was something else. He was cool. And uh, he just did not fit in. And, you know, anyway, he had his mother paid for him to come. He was 17 years old when he came. And his mother paid and gave him a car and a house and everything to come to Bible college. And anyway, Taj, he was a nice guy. I really liked him. We got along well, but this just wasn't for him. And he decided that when Christmas break came, he was going home and he wasn't coming back. He had already made up his mind. He had told me, he had told other people, and he was not going to come back. He went home at Christmas break and he went back to Chicago in the area that he came from. There was at least one person killed every day within a square mile of his house. And I drove out there one time and uh, Linus was driving me and he parked straddling the white stripe on the road. And I said, Linus, you're blocking both lanes. What are you doing? And he says, do you realize that there's at least one person killed in this intersection every day? They drive up and shoot you. He says, nobody's pulling up next to me. It was a rough area. And in the first six months that Taj was at school, two of his friends, one was a relative and another one was a good friend, were murdered. And when he went back at Christmas, he went back with all of his friends. And you know what? He just realized, I'm changed. I'm different. I can't do this. And Taj came back from the Christmas vacation back and he got up and testified this thing in front of the whole deal and he says I didn't realize it I didn't come here to get changed I came here because my mother sent me but he says after being under the word he says I'm not the same person I can't go back to that lifestyle and he finished the entire school graduated I'm telling you, this is how simple the Christian life is. It is not hard to serve God if you keep your mind stayed on God and let the Word of God convert your soul and just cleanse you and purify you and it just changes you. 
But what's hard is when you're trying to live by Christian standards, thinking on unchristian things. Watching as the stomach turns on television and watching murdering and stealing and watching homosexuality for entertainment and doing things that grieve the heart of God. And you do all of this and put all of this garbage in you and then try and produce goodness out of you. Now that's hard. And that's what causes turmoil in the Christian life. But if you just get to where you study the word and you meditate in it day and night, it just, it says in a, a Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shall you make your way prosperous and then shall you have good success. You will be prosperous and you will succeed in whatever you do if you meditate in the word day and night. People say, well, I don't want to meditate in the word day and night. I got my favorite programs. I've got all of this. And yet I want the word results. I want to have good success and I want to have uh, all of these things, but I don't want to do this. Well, that's what makes a Christian life hard. Try and live godly by thinking ungodly doesn't work. And ungodly doesn't necessarily mean that you're all X-rated or R-rated. Ungodly means not like God. It doesn't have to be sin. Just make it junk. Just make it the junk. I was eating uh, breakfast in the uh, hotel here one day this week and watching the Regis Philbin thing on there. And I'm not against Regis Philbin. I don't know what he does, but I'm just saying, I know that he's really popular and I was watching this and it was just stupid. (laughs) Nobody could remember an hour after that show's over what they were even talking about. It was just wasted. It was useless. It's vain. It doesn't have to be just out and out sin. Just occupy yourself with the junk of this world. You know, if I've got a weakness, it's the Roadrunner cartoon. I love the Roadrunner cartoon. I got Wile E. Coyote shirts. I got things. Wile E. Coyote to me is awesome. That guy gets blown up, squished, smashed, and just is the eternal optimist. He gets up and is right back at it. Nothing ever deters this guy. I just... I, I relate to Wiley Coyote. <laughs> so anyway, I really like the Roadrunner cartoons and my kids bought me a video with them on there. And you know what? I believe that there's probably nothing wrong with the Roadrunner cartoons. It's just amusement. I don't think it's sin. But if all I did was watch Roadrunner cartoons, I don't believe it's sin. I don't believe there's anything demonic in there or anything like that. But it's just not going to build me up, medify me. And if all I put in was Roadrunner cartoons and then cancer knocks on my door and I turn on and release what I'm full of and out comes meep meep. (laughs) It's over. It may not be sin, but I'm going to die. You know what? You just need to, you need to expose yourself to the things of this world even if you think it's okay if you can't prove that there's anything bad about it you need to have limited exposure to that junk because it's not going to help you and even if you can find something decent to watch on television the commercials will kill you they would so anyway look at this Psalms chapter 19 verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect 
converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Boy, what a tremendous promise. How many times do you just feel like, man, I just don't know what to do? The Word of God will make you wise. If you read the first chapter, the first chapter of Proverbs, it says that these words are written to give wisdom to the simple, to give subtlety to those that don't have it, and it'll prosper you. I guarantee you there is not a single person that tends to have a low IQ or has trouble learning that if you would get into the Word of God and just take the book of Proverbs and read it that you couldn't become the head of the class in a short period of time. It'll make wise the simple. It's a promise of the Word of God. You have not got an excuse for being stupid. You have not got an excuse for being dull, being a slow learner. People that's brains don't work, it's because you've deadened it on some of the junk that we do today. If you get in the Word of God, the Word of God will make you wise. Man, what a great promise. In verse 8, it says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The Word of God will rejoice your heart. If you're ever discouraged, if you're ever facing discouragement, if you're ever facing depression, all you got to do is go to the Word of God and just go to reading it, and it'll make your heart rejoice. If you believe that, you could throw away all your antidepressant medicine. You could get off all of this lithium, all everything else. Just get into the Word of God and you'll be as happy as you want to be. I remember when I was drafted and went in the army, I was uh, persecuted severely for being a Christian. And this, it's a long story, but this one group, every time I walked into the room, it'd vacate. People would leave. I'd go into the mess hall and sit down next to people and they'd all get up and leave. Everybody hated me. They called me preacher and they would not talk to me. I went over two months without a single person in the army. And we lived in a barracks where there was 40 people in this one room. Not a single word was ever said to me except profanity. They'd cuss at me and stuff like this. And because of that, you know what? It began to get to me. I began to get a little discouraged. And one day, while everybody else, I was in uh, Fort Hamilton, uh, New York, underneath the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. There's a fort there for chaplains, and I was a chaplain's assistant. And all of these guys were chaplain's assistants that hated me. And uh, (laughs) so none of them were saved. And anyway, on the weekend, they all went in to the city to party. They had a weekend leave, and I was beginning to be discouraged. You know what I did? I just stayed on my bunk and took the quiet... And I started studying the Word, and I read the Bible for eight hours. And at the end of eight hours, I could run through a troop or leap over the wall. Man, I was rejoicing. I was ready to go for another six months. And I guarantee you that's true. If you ever get discouraged, why do you take a pill? You ought to take the gospel. You ought to turn to the Word of God and just go to meditating in the Word of God. And I guarantee you it will rejoice your heart. you got zero reason to be defeated, depressed, discouraged, lonely, upset. Lonely. How could you be lonely fellowshipping with God through the Word? Brothers and sisters, there is not an excuse for the way we live. There are reasons, and the number one reason is that we don't know what the truth is. We've been deceived. We don't do this. If you would read the word, it would rejoice your heart, is what it says right here. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
You don't have to go through life like a person that's blindfolded in just a matter of time until you fall over something, fall off a cliff, run into tragedy, and then after you're in trouble, go to God and ask God, help me out of it. You know what? The Word of God will enlighten your eyes. In verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Boy, if we just believe this, if we just meditated in the Word day and night, there's not a person in here that's got a problem that wouldn't be changed. Not a person. There is no problem that the Word of God won't deal with. Look in Genesis chapter 3, and I'll close with this. I know I need to get through. But I could go on forever talking about how that you use the Word of God to overcome temptation. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is where Adam and Eve were tempted. You remember over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it says there, I fear lest as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted through the simplicity that's in Christ. In other words, there's no new thing. You aren't being tempted more than Adam and Eve is. The same way that Satan came against Adam and Eve is the same way he comes against you. And look what he did right here. He says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He attacked the word of God. If he hadn't have countered what God said, if she would have just said, Look, You know what? I'm not going to reason. I'm not going to try and figure anything out beyond the Word. If this is what God's Word said, if this is what He has said, that settles it. And you talking snake, if you're trying to get me to violate God's Word, the discussion is over right here. That would have ended this temptation. The moment that this snake attacked God's Word, she should have said, end of conversation. Satan cannot get you into any sin unless he gets you to violate the truths of God's Word. There is nothing that is sin that is consistent with the Word. God's Word will cause you not to sin. So to sin, to yield to temptation, Satan has to get you to adopt some value, some thought that is contrary to God's Word. And if all that be true, which it is, then the simple thing is, just get to where every thought you have is controlled by God's Word. Every value you have is consistent with God's Word. And when you do that, all you'll get is Word of God results. It'll convert your soul. It'll change you. It's that simple. Christian life isn't hard. It's just hard when you're trying to operate by the world's standards and get godly results. That makes it super hard. But it's not hard at all. It's really, really simple. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The way we would say that today is that carnal mindedness equals death. It doesn't just tend towards it. For some people it produces death. For the weak people who can't handle it, it produces death. No, carnal mindedness equals death. Spiritual mindedness 
equals life and peace. And some people think, well, I just don't know how to be spiritually minded. All spiritually minded is, is word minded. John 6, 63, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that quickens the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is spirit. If you are dominating your thoughts with God's word, you're spiritually minded and all it'll produce is life and peace. I have people come up to me all the time and say, I'm doing everything the word says. And I'm not healed. I'm not victorious. I'm not whatever. It's not true. You may be doing what you know, but you aren't doing everything the Word says because the Word, spiritually minded, produces life and peace. It's just like if I go see your garden. I don't have to be there when you plant it. I don't have to see what you planted. Just let me see what's growing in your garden and I'll tell you what you planted. Because you only reap what you sow. You can tell me I'm defeated and I'm angry and I'm bitter and nothing's working, but I meditate in the Word day and night. Not so. You might be meditating in religion. You may be reading it with your head. You may be influenced by religious doctrine, but your spirit's not in communion with God through the Word of God or all it'll produce is life and peace. I can tell you what you planted in your garden by seeing what's growing in it. I can tell you what you've been thinking on by the way your life is going. God's word is health unto all of your flesh and life unto those that find it. Proverbs chapter 4. If you're sick, take the word of God and meditate in it and all it will produce is life and peace. You can't die thinking the word of God. It says that he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all of their destruction. Psalms 107 verse 20. God's word will heal you and deliver you. If you are demon possessed, get in the word of God. And the word of God will deliver you and set you free. And somebody says, but I'm demon possessed. I can't. The devil won't let me read it. That's a lie. It's a lie. The man named Legion who had 6,000 demons on the inside of him and could break chains and do all of these things, he ran and fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. And I guarantee you the demons didn't lead him to do that. Even the worst demon-possessed man in the Bible could still fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him. You can study the Word. You are just giving in to it. Brothers and sisters, we have the greatest thing. People have died to translate the Bible, to put it into our hands. People understood that this is the greatest gift that God ever gave mankind outside of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest tool ever given to mankind. And the average Christian couldn't tell you what's in it. I remember remember being over in England the first time and this friend of mine, Dave Duell, was ministering and a woman stood up and says, I don't agree with that. I believe that God helps those that help themselves. I think that's a scripture somewhere. And he says, you're right, lady. That's Hesitations 318. And she said, and she says, I knew that was in there somewhere. If most of us were to take a quiz and they were to say, is this scripture? And they could quote, Mary had a little lamb. They could put in there some of the modern day musicals and stuff and the average person wouldn't have a clue whether it's scripture or not. I guarantee you, you're going to lose. 
I'm, I'm saying these things in love. I'm not trying to condemn you, but I'm trying to motivate you and let you see how important it is. You are going to lose your battle against temptation if the Word of God isn't as real to you, more real to you than what the newspaper has to say. If you know more about the latest television show, if you can win all of the trivial pursuit stuff and the things about the television and the movies and you know all of that, and if you don't know the Scriptures better than you know the movies, you're going to lose. And there's just no way around it. That's tight, but it's right. You need to know the Word of God. And brothers and sisters, it's not hard. Four chapters a day, you'll cover the entire Bible in a year. Some of you think, a year? I need help now. Well, how many years? How many years have you been in the mess you're in? And how many years are you going to continue to be in the mess you're in if you don't do something? Four chapters a day. Twenty minutes. You study the entire Bible in a year. Simple. And then with tapes, books, all of the things. See, I've been studying the Word for 30-something years. I've taken those truths, put them in tapes and books. You can take that and stop and look up every scripture I quote. Study it. And you can learn in a month things that it's taken me 30 years to learn. You just don't have an excuse for not knowing the Word of God. There is no excuse. It's just laziness. It's being occupied with other things. And I guarantee you, you're going to go down if you don't know the Word of God. You need to know the Word of God better than you know anything else. You ought to be an expert in it. Amen? Amen. What, a great, what a great thing God's given us. Hallelujah.